John chapter 6, as today we cover verses 41 through 71. How many of you have heard of that guy named Larry King? Many of you have. You might remember him. He was an American television and radio host, very well known throughout the world, who conducted over 50,000 interviews in his career. Uh, From 1985 to 2010, he hosted the nightly television program, Larry King Live. Uh, You guys might remember it was on CNN. And so he was an interesting man. He was Jewish by race. His parents were Orthodox Jews by religion. In 2005, he called himself an agnostic. And in 2015, he officially came out to be an atheist. And so uh, one time uh, he was asked, if you could interview anyone in history, one person in history, who would it be? And Larry King responded that he would like to interview uh, Jesus Christ, the man who had interviewed uh, everyone from pop stars to pastors to presidents, from the common man to the kings of the world. He responded by saying, if I could interview one person in history, it would be Jesus Christ. And he said, and I would only have to ask him one question. Are you indeed virgin born? Because Larry King knew, same thing that we should all know, that if he was born of a virgin, that would mean he is who he claimed to be. The Christians call him the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. And if we could settle that in our souls, uh, we're good to go, you guys. We're good to go to heaven. And this is why we're studying the Gospel of John, because he wants the whole wide world to know that Jesus truly is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the Savior of the world. So that one day, you know, um, when we die, and even while we live, we would have this anchor of trust in Him. I keep thinking about that. I don't know how it's going to be, and we don't know when it will be. It could be sometime this week, in a car accident, we're lying on the road, and all I'm thinking about while I'm there is the name of Jesus. Because I know who He is. I know He was born of a virgin. I know He came, He was sent by His Father. That he, uh, he, he bought me on that cross. He, re, he rose again. I know him. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which he promised me. And so for us, it's a huge thing. For us in John chapter 6, uh, this is going to be something that we're going to cover today. Uh, a couple of main points we're going to see. And there's a lot in this text. It's amazing how deep the Bible is. Most of you guys know that. But, but I will say a couple of things. Number one, we're going to see Jesus is divine and human. He's divine and human. And number two, salvation is divine and human. And I will say this, just as a quick side note, we're going to see it kind of underneath our text today, that this is a very important thing for us to understand, that things can be both divine and human. Let me ask you a question. Who wrote the Bible? Who wrote the Bible? Someone says, God. Yeah, but didn't man write it also? 100% God, 100% man. How can that be? Well, that's what we call uh, something that goes beyond us. God didn't violate their will. When Luke was doing his homework to research the life of Christ, he did it with all his heart, and he worked, and he interviewed, and he wrote. It was 100% man, but it was also 100% God. That's life. You guys take a breath. Who did that? You're like, well, I did. No, God did. God gave you that breath. 
You took that breath. See, this is something that we as people, we often don't understand. 100% God, 100% man. I mean, you look at your life and even some people will look at their life and maybe they're not all that and they blame it on God. And God said, listen, I gave you a free will. You know, I think of my father-in-law. He worked hard. And uh, what he ended up doing is he bought a house, a small little house, probably about, if I had to guess, maybe 600, 800 square feet. And what he did was he bought that house and then he rented that house and he bought another house. He rented that house, he bought another house, he rented that house, he bought another house. And here's a man who worked hard and he succeeded in life. This is what God led him to do. Now, was it him or was it God? Some people, they blame everything on God. They're not successful. Well, it's God's fault. Well, maybe it's because you didn't work hard. All I know is this, that we have this human responsibility and there is a divine sovereignty involved in life. Proverbs 21, 31 says, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. It's what man does and what God does. And we're going to see that even woven into our text today because sometimes what happens is people get off balance. And this is why it's so cool. When you know the Bible, you, you're a healthy Christian and you understand this balanced perspective of life. Look what we read in verse 41. It says, the Jews then complained. They, they grumbled about Jesus because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? And the, and the Jews began to grumble and complain. How can this be the bread which came down from heaven? I mean, we know his parents. You know, five times in this section, Jesus uses those words in reference to himself that he'd come down from heaven, and they were having a very difficult time with that. You know, we've seen this other times in the Gospels. For example, in Matthew 13 and verse 54, it says that when Jesus had come to his own country, this is being Nazareth, he, he taught them in their synagogue. So that they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter? Son, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there, because of their unbelief. You know, they, they, they said, who, we, we hear him teaching, it's amazing teaching, we see the works he's doing, it's absolutely wonderful, miraculous, glorious, but wait a minute, time out, we know his parents, we know his siblings. I mean, he grew up here in Nazareth. I mean, and so what they did was, they, the familiarity oftentimes breeds contempt, and so they didn't believe in him, they didn't acknowledge his identity. You know, here in John, it's the same thing, you know? I mean, he says he's coming down from heaven. Wait a minute, time out. We know this guy. And who knows, maybe they'd heard the rumors uh, that, you know, Mary, when she was pregnant, she said it was from God. Maybe they had heard those rumors, because later on, we're going to see that they do say something that seems to say that they thought that. But for whatever reason, they didn't believe in his heavenly origin. They couldn't receive his true identity they, they said he's just a man from earth, a common carpenter. And they missed 
their opportunity to be saved. They, they, they missed in Nazareth their opportunity to see God do mighty works, all because they wouldn't acknowledge the identity of Christ. God, God came to earth. You remember Isaiah 7, 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's uh, 700 years before Christ. If you go all the way back to Genesis 3, there's another prophecy there regarding the fact that the Messiah would one day be born of a virgin. So what we find is that Jesus was uh, born of Mary, but also conceived of the Holy Spirit. You read that in Luke 1, 34 through 35, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and 20. And what you find is that Jesus was, yes, those are his brothers. That's his parents. Uh, that's his you know, stepfather. Um, but what we find is that Jesus was 100% man, but he was also 100% God. And so, you know, if only they would have done a, a little research. And the people today that are out there, you wonder. I mean, you know, again, I, I don't know LeBron James personally, but I'm just thinking of, you know, one of the most popular basketball players or maybe one of these actors or actresses or whatever, political figures that are out there. You wonder, have they really done the research? What do they think about Jesus? Because maybe if LeBron James uh, really did the research about Jesus, maybe he wouldn't be called the king or whatever, you know? He would be saying, no, I'm not the king. There's only one king. His name is Jesus. Same thing for Larry King. Maybe he would change his last name. I don't know how all that works. All I know is that if you do the research, you will find there is no one like Jesus. And this is why Larry King, he said, if there's one person I could interview, it would be him because there's no one like him. And so they didn't accept the fact that he had come down from heaven. He's the bread from heaven because... They only acknowledge his humanity. They did not acknowledge his deity. But we as Christians, we know he's both. Not 50% man, 50% God. He's 100% man and 100% God. He became a man at the incarnation. And so then we see that nature was added to his identity. And so in looking at this, um, we see Jesus is divine and human. They were struggling with that. But then secondly, salvation is divine and human. Because watch what happens as Jesus is here. Now, I've got to give you the, the backdrop just in case you weren't here last week. You know, you got all these people. They're following Jesus because they liked the fact that he fed them. And uh, they wanted him to be king. They wanted him to overthrow the Roman government. And then he could, you know, be the Messiah. That was their perception of the first coming of Christ and so they're following Jesus, and Jesus is saying, man, the only reason you're following me is because you want food. Don't labor for that food that perishes. Labor for the food that it, it extends into eternal life. And so the Lord is actually trying to reach them. He's trying to reach these people. Just like, you know, maybe you're here today, and you're, you know, I don't know how you ended up here, but the Lord loves you. And he's trying to reach you. Maybe you're watching online and you don't really have a relationship with God or you don't really have that type of commitment. Listen, the God of the universe loves you and he's trying to reach you. These words are written with that purpose in mind. Look what we read in verse 43. It says, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's talking about heaven, right? The, the glorified bodies that we're going to have there that's able to live in the presence of God forever and ever. That's what he's talking about. It, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has learned and heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And so they, they were grumbling. They were complaining. They were murmuring among themselves. And the Lord says, don't murmur about what you don't understand. You know, consider what you do understand. What have you seen Jesus do up to this point? Heal people. Feed the thousands with just, you know, five barley loaves and two little fish. You know, speak the greatest words ever spoken. Don't complain about the things that you can't understand. You know, embrace the things that you can. You see, the Father was drawing them to believe in Jesus. He was drawing them, but he wasn't forcing them to believe in Jesus. There was a difference between invitation and coercion. You know, to draw means it means to pull them towards him. It means like there's a little tug. As a matter of fact, in some literature, it's translated to attract. And that's what the Father does. That's what salvation involves. It involves, you know, no one can come to God unless the Father draws them, unless the Father attracts them, and the Father tugs at their heart, and the Father's pulling them towards him. You know, how does the Father pull us towards him? Well, I think it's through love. Jeremiah 31, verse 3, it says, Long ago the Lord said to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. There it is, the Father drawing people to himself. He loves you, and he wants the best for you, and he wants you to be forever with him in heaven because he loves you. That's how the Father draws, you know? Again, I think most of us here are Christians today, but there might be one person who's not yet, and, and the Lord is tugging at your heart. I mean, are you here today? Do you feel God drawing you? Do you sense your need for Jesus? Do you sense his love? Can you hear that calling towards you? God is saying, hey, I want you. I love you. I want you to make a decision today to follow Christ. Don't complain contemplate don't murmur you know meditate on the fact that the father is pointing you to the son and what we find in what jesus is saying right here is that salvation is a work of god huh you guys are saved you know that you're saved by god in one sense you were caught by him you were taught by him you know what we see right here is the lord says hey no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I'm going to raise him up at the last day. There in verse 45 where he says, it is written the prophets and they all shall be taught by God. It's probably a reference to Isaiah 54 verse 13. But the same thing is taught in Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34. And in one sense, what the Lord is saying right there is you're, you're all taught by God. And, and he oftentimes will draw us towards him by teaching us the Bible. And that's what we're even we're doing today. God will use his Bible. God will use his word as you go to church or maybe you hear from someone somewhere and they just give you the word of God. It's kind of like you're being taught by him. Not that you see God. Only the son has seen God as far as those who are there. But you hear God. 
And that's how people get saved. You can't you see it's the Father doing this work? Not that you can see the Father, but you see what God is doing. See, one of the things that I have to warn you against is this doctrine called Calvinism. And Calvinism is a doctrine named after a man named John Calvin. And there are churches out there, and sometimes even these guys that we like, i got to warn you about them. They'll tell you that, you know what, we'll read a scripture like this, and they just camp out on the fact that, listen, no one can get saved unless God does it. And they'll teach you this. They'll teach you that God has chosen some to be saved, and the rest do not have a chance. That's what they teach when they read this Bible. But what we have to believe and what we have to understand when we read the whole Bible is that you know, Jesus is both divine uh, you know, and, and also human, and salvation is divine, but it's also human. See? And that's where we have a biblical understanding. Because even here, when you see it and you put it all together, it, it's so clear. Because I, I listen to some of my favorite teachers, and I get grieved when I hear them teach this passage because they don't teach it in the context of the Bible. They don't teach it in the context even of what we see right here. Jesus is calling people to himself. He's kind of saying, hey, choose. Choose. And then he's also saying, and if you do, you're chosen. And so for us, reading these things, let's make sure we take it in context. Look what Jesus says in verse 47. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. If you want to know how to be saved, all you have to do is believe in Jesus. But watch the details he gives. I mean, the everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now in the Greek, where he says most assuredly, in the Greek it's amen, amen. And so whenever they would repeat words, it was always for emphasis. And so amen is like, so be it. Amen, amen. Most assuredly, I say to you, the Lord is speaking to us. I tell you the truth. This is a guaranteed promise that the person who places their faith in Jesus has everlasting life because Jesus is the bread of life. How many of you here like bread? I'm just curious. Isn't it good? Maybe there might be some of you here who are on keto or whatever. You don't do bread or carbs and stuff. I mean, I just could never do that diet. I love bread so much. As a matter of fact, I'll go to Northwoods Inn, and you know how they have the cabbage and the salad? I just go for the bread, you know, and it's this cheese bread that's so good. The other day, someone baked, uh, baked me a, a, a big old loaf sourdough, and I ate the whole thing, man. And so there's something about bread that satisfies us, but in the context, the staple food sustains us. And that's what he's saying Jesus is. Now, they were asking him to, you know, hey, Moses brought down bread from heaven. You know, they were asking him to duplicate the miracle of what Moses did. And Jesus said, no, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. The Father gave you the bread from heaven. Jesus said, I'm the bread from heaven. And if you want satisfaction for your life and you want sustenance for your soul, 
Jesus said, believe in me because I am the bread that came down from heaven. But they're having a hard time believing that he came from heaven because he's human and divine. They didn't understand that he was both. Now that he's saying, hey, when it comes to salvation, uh, what you need to do is you need to believe on me. They wanted Jesus to duplicate the miracle. And when you have an opportunity, I encourage you to read Exodus chapter 16. And you can read all about the manna. It's, a, it's an amazing story. I read it this morning. I was like, wow, so cool, Lord, what you did for them. But, but many of those who ate that bread, they died. He's not talking about dying physically. He's talking about dying spiritually. Many of those people who ate that bread, think about it. It was angel food. It was literally angel food. They didn't know what it was. It was like this pancake. They could boil it. They could, you know, bake it. Um, you know, for 40 years, it gave them everything they needed. It was like this food, you know, kind of like from heaven. But many of them did not go to heaven when they died. They died spiritually, even though they ate manna. And that's what Jesus is saying right there. As a matter of fact, you guys might remember the story, not in, in, in Exodus 16, but you go over to Numbers chapter 16, when there was Korah's rebellion and these people rebelled against Moses. Who are you? Who do you think you are? And then the, you know, the Bible talks about how God then judged him and judged all those who followed them, and the earth opened up and swallowed them. They were instantly taken to hell. And so some people ate, they ate manna. They went through all the religious stuff, experiences. They went through the Red Sea. I mean, they you know, got the water from the rock. You read in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5, they experienced all those things, but they didn't go to heaven. And that's why Jesus is saying, you know, you want me to bring down manna? That doesn't take someone to heaven. He says, listen, what I'm giving to you is different. Verse 51 again, I am the living bread which came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. That's talking about going to heaven. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now we're going to get into this, you know, and it gets pretty heavy. The Lord gives his life for the world. Look at verse 52. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly. Now, what is that in the Greek? Amen, amen. Good job. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Remember, that's in reference to heaven. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. Think about that life. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead spiritually. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So the Lord is, is saying some interesting things. As they contemplated his teaching, they began to quarrel among themselves because they were not able to comprehend it. And that's what I'm trying to tell you guys. They weren't able to comprehend it. Jesus says, you got to eat my flesh. And then he adds to the menu, you got to drink my blood. 
And so you're thinking, well, Lord, are you asking us to be vampires? Are you, is this cannibalism that Jesus is teaching, you know, to eat someone's body? Um, the Catholic Church will call it transubstantiation, you know, where the Lord, you take communion, it's literally his body, literally his blood, hocus pocus and all that kind of stuff. And no, that's not what Jesus is sharing. When you read the Gospel of John, there were many times where they took him literally and he was speaking symbolically or allegorically. You know, in John chapter 3, when the Lord said, you got to be born again, Nicodemus was thinking, well, how can I go back in my mother's womb and be born again? And John chapter 4, when Jesus is talking about the, the, the water, the living water that he would give, the woman said, well, give me that water. That way I don't have to come to this well and draw all the time. And the Lord said, no, the, the words that I'm speaking, we're going to see even here, they're spirit, they're life. When we're talking about feeding on his flesh and in his blood, we're talking about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and feeding on his faithfulness and taking it all the way in and swallowing this truth with all that we are, all the way to our heart. We're not talking about cannibalism. We're not talking about transubstantiation. Now, when he talks about his flesh and we're talking about his blood, here's the thing that's very important because we're talking about believing in Jesus. And yeah, the demons believe in Jesus. You know, people believe in Jesus. You talk to, you know, famous actors, politicians, uh, even Larry King believed in Jesus. But what do you believe about Jesus? And here's what we see here. The Lord says, I'm going to give my body on a cross, my blood's going to be shed. I'm going to die as a sacrifice for you, and I'm going to rise again in death. I know it's not my righteousness. It is his righteousness that has been imputed to my account. I would not have the audacity like some people who die, and they say, well, one day when I stand before God, he, he knows I'm a good person. I'm a good, I'll be okay. No way. I know I'm a sinner, and I've sinned against God himself. I need Jesus. And this is what, as he's sharing right here, this is what he's saying. And Jesus says, hey, I, I promise, if you believe on me, I will raise you up on the last day. And the same life that the Father and the Son have, we will have. And so as Jesus is teaching these things in the synagogue, that, that, that's interesting too, because not too long ago, he was teaching out in the fields. Now he's going to be in the synagogues. He will also be in the temple. In other words, these are formal teachings, ultimately telling us God's truth. Now, when I look at this right now, I think for us as Christians, and many of you who have studied, studied the Bible, it's a little bit more understandable. You know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Um, we, for most of us here anyways, we kind of know what that means. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross and how he rose again, right? But, but for them, kind of try to put yourself into their shoes. It would be a little bit more challenging. Like, what is he talking about? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, and here's something that, that's interesting. When, when I read this, I, I think that when the Lord is sharing with them, you know, he's teaching us another lesson. And, this, and that is this. That there will be times we don't understand what Jesus is doing. There might even be times where we don't understand what Jesus is saying. How could this happen? How could it be this way? Lord, I, I don't understand. It makes no sense. But as we've heard, and Pastor Chuck has told us, and I think we've heard it from many teachers, whenever you come across something you don't understand, fall back on what you do understand. 
Now, they didn't understand everything about what Jesus had told them, the flesh and the blood yet, you know, but man, they should have known who he was. I mean, he had proven himself healing everybody, feeding everybody, teaching everybody, loving everybody, but they were having a hard time now on this. They needed something that's very important for us, and I want to encourage you, cultivate the faith of a child. Aren't children beautiful? the way they believe in simplicity and the way they trust their father, their parents. You know, there's a lot of things, to be honest, as a Christian that I can't calculate or comprehend. Why did that happen? How can this be? But I'll tell you what. I know enough about Jesus. I know enough about God that I can trust him with my life. There are even doctrines and teachings that I'm unable to comprehend because his ways are infinitely higher than mine. But that doesn't mean that I cease to believe or stop following Jesus. You know, the truth is, it shouldn't keep anyone from coming to Christ initially. And it shouldn't keep anyone from staying with Christ permanently, no matter what happens in our lives. Do you think that you're going to understand everything? Then you think too highly of yourself. But I do know this, I know who Jesus is. And I know what he did on that cross. And I know how he rose again. And so I will follow him. But watch what happens in verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit. And you might want to even underline that verse because he's saying it's not physical bread that would you know, profit your flesh. I'm not talking physically. I'm talking spiritually. But there are some of you, he says, who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. That's heavy. Again, difficult to understand. Definitely not something that we can comprehend. And so they complained. Jesus is saying, well, what then if you see me ascend? He said, ultimately, this is going to be proven by my resurrection and ascension into heaven. They would actually be witnesses of this. But unfortunately, at the time, they didn't believe. And the Lord knew who didn't really believe. And he even knew one who would betray you know, and here at church, you know, I think in one sense we might be compared to the disciples. You know, when the Lord had his following, he, there, you know, there were the thousands, there was the 70, there was the 12. There were different categories of those who would follow him. And in one sense, maybe there are those who we could say they, they went to church service. But you have to examine your own heart. You have to search deep within you. Like, do you really, truly, are you definitely a Christian. 
You know, for me as a pastor, sometimes I think of myself as a pilot, and I'm like, okay, Lord, you got me here, and all I want to do is help these people go to heaven. And I want to help them have a good life, hopefully, on the way that they can experience all the joys and beautiful things that you have for them, but ultimately is to go from point A to point B. So, so you're here and you're a Christian, praise God, but there might be some here who are not. And there might even be some here who are on the verge of walking away from God. You're like, well, that can't happen. Well, read John 6, 66. It says that, that from that point on, there were some who walked away. Let me ask you a question today, church. Are you getting closer to God or are you drifting away? You're getting farther. You know, we got to be careful. Again, going back to Calvinism, some say, well, you know, you're a Christian, you can never f- fall away. Well, what happens to those who do fall away? What happens to the pastors who they used to preach and now they're not even following Jesus? What about them? Well, you know, well they were never a believer. How can you really tell the difference with that kind of theology? All I know is this, and he says right there, you have to abide. You have to rest. You have to remain. And from what I've seen in my life, if you're not getting closer to Christ, then you're backsliding. So here's the warning. The warning is here. You know, what we find is that Jesus is divine and human and salvation is divine and human. It's God. Yes, it's God, but it's also you. It's so important for us to understand this. I don't think it's a coincidence that John 6, 66, that's kind of weird, huh? 666, right there it says, right there, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And so we read in verse 67, then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, these, everybody's walking away. Today, we are living in the days of apostasy. That's what's going on in the church today, generally speaking. And so a lot of people are walking away. And so the Lord says to the disciples and the 12, he says, hey, do you also want to walk away? And I love what Peter says, Lord, where, where do we go? Where, where are you going to go? If you choose not to follow Jesus, where will you go? Who will you follow? And those people who have walked away from the Lord, they are so lost. I love what we read here. And I'll be honest with you. You guys got to put yourself in Peter's shoes. He didn't understand everything. He did not understand everything. We find, I have my timer, it's going off right here. That gives me another 15 minutes. Now I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, I, I know he didn't understand everything, but he knew enough. He had the truth, and he understood Jesus' identity. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, when I got saved, I didn't understand everything. I didn't. I didn't know a whole lot. I did know, though, that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And that was the day that I gave my life to Jesus Christ and I ran to him. You know, here we are today. And I don't know where you're at in this whole journey, whether you're here and you're not a Christian and you need to start your relationship with God 
or where you're, there, you're somewhere else in that journey and you need to draw nearer and closer to him. And what we find right here is the Lord is teaching us these things. Yeah, it's, it's God, it's God, it's God, but it's also you. You will find God and you will experience God and you will see the miracles of God when you seek God. Don't blame it on him. Because it's God and it's man. And this is what we see in life. And so the Lord ends with a warning. Not just a general thing. You're like, oh, thinking about... No, it's a personal thing. In verse 70, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Again, I'll be honest, I don't understand all the ins and outs of Judas Iscariot. It's a trip. I wonder about him. He was chosen, and yet, you know, he didn't choose. There's a challenge there for all of us. It's difficult to understand the divine sovereignty and the human responsibility. One time a person came to C.H. Spurgeon, and they said, how do you reconcile the doctrine of divine sovereignty and human responsibility? And C.H. Spurgeon said, I don't try to reconcile friends. They're both true. It's God and it's you. And for us, we have to understand that. I like what D.L. Moody said. D.L. Moody said, pray as if it all depends on God and work as if it all depends on you. And somewhere in there, as we're praying and we're seeking the Lord, uh, we understand, you know what? Without him, I can do nothing, but I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. You know, the people wanted bread. Judas wanted money. Judas wanted the kingdom to happen now. That's what Judas wanted, right? And when he didn't get what he wanted, he betrayed Jesus. That's what I know. And for us, we have to be more interested in that kingdom that's coming than this kingdom now. You guys see what's going on, right? We don't, we don't know the day or the hour. We don't know for sure if the Lord's coming, you know, today or tomorrow. But I'll, I'll tell you what, these things we see on these military exercises with Russia and China and Iran and all that kind of stuff, and we see the, the, the grooming for the globalism and the economic, you know, cashless culture that we're headed, everything, this pandemic. I'll tell you what, these are signs that the Lord's coming might be soon. And so we have to be ready. I mean, I love life. I love life. But I know this is not my home. There's a kingdom coming, and there is a king, and that's how we have to live. And I think of Larry King, you know, and he, you know he died, right? You know, you wonder, where is he? Uh, did he repent at, at, the, at the last, you know, days? I mean, we know that he interviewed pastors. He heard the gospel many times. Only God knows. But I do know this. He had a lot of questions. Larry King got married eight times. Did you guys know that? To seven different women. And that tells me, man, this guy was looking for love. Are you looking for love? I pray you would know that there's a God who's drawing you with that very love. You know, what we find is that You know, Larry King, if only he would have responded to the drawing of the Father who pointed to Jesus, the King of Kings. 
if the Lord is drawing you, He's tugging at your heart, whether it be first-time commitment or closer to Him, you have a choice. I pray you would choose.